You are what you eat. That's what they say anyway. But it turns out there's much more to it than that. How about this? You are where you eat. You are who you eat with. You are who you eat in honour of. Bon appétit. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, it's fantastic to have you with us on Signs of the Times Radio this week. I have with me on the phone from Melbourne, Pastor Justin Bone. How are you doing, Justin? Good, thanks, Kent. How are you today? Yeah, yeah, really well. Thanks, mate. Now, Justin, you pastor two churches in in the Melbourne uh, metropolitan area. Um, where, where are those, just for our listeners who are in Victoria who know the area? Well, I've got a, a church at Plenty Valley on Centenary Drive in Mill Park and a church at St Albans West Point Church. Okay, well, that's great. Well, that, that must keep you uh, out of mischief. They do, and uh, we have a lot of fun there. We've got a lot of wonderful people, and uh, we have uh, good worship services, and we have good church lunches as well, Kent. Okay, oh, fantastic. That's uh, you, you, You've done that very well, Justin. You've, you've segued very well into our topic for today, because you, you wrote a, a great article for us in uh, in this month's Signs of the Times magazine, the, the April edition. You initially called it commensality, and, and I said, as the editor of the magazine, that's way too intellectual. Let's just call it eating together. Um, can, can you explain uh, to me, if, is there a difference between commensality and eating together? How does that all work? Well, I guess there's, there's not. At the heart of it, commensality is eating at the same table, but it, it also carries this idea of a social connection that's provided by food. And it's something that we all understand instinctively, but it maybe it's something that we've lost a little in our society today too. Yeah, I guess, you know, the the advent of TV dinners and, and this sort of thing. I mean, TV dinners were sort of a, a 70s, 80s phenomenon, wasn't it? But now it's um, everyone takes their dinner to their room and watches their own screen. It's possibly even more disconnected, that, you know, than it's ever been in a, in a family or, or a household. Well, that's, that's true. And uh, also, I would suggest the rise of, of takeaway meals where you can drive through and pick up a meal and eat it in your car without anyone else around you. Uh, There's a lot of options to eat solo these days. And so we do that. It's a fast-paced world. We're all busy people. And so sometimes we just don't have time to sit down and enjoy the interaction that comes with a proper meal. Yeah, okay. So in in your article, you point out a a number of contexts in which actually eating together can be a a really powerful thing. And you start right back in in your childhood, which I guess, you know, a lot of us would have sort of happy, more hopefully happy memories of sitting around the table with the family eating together. What's, What's your story? Well, you know, you're right. That, uh, that food when you're a kid as well, there's nothing like a home-cooked meal that mum makes you just for you and puts it down in front of you. Uh, but I was lucky in, in my family. My dad liked to cook as well. And I grew up in, in a far-flung town in New South Wales called Broken Hill. Oh, yeah. And, and we lived about half an hour out of Broken Hill, and there were some natural native bush fruits that grew there called kwandongs uh-huh. and it's a it's a strange little tart fruit that tastes a lot like rhubarb 
But my, my father would basically harvest these and he'd cook them up into a pie. And these these pies became really well known in our little community. He didn't just feed us, but he would give them to friends and family and he would take them to the local pub and he would sell them to the pub and they would give it to tourists who came because it was such a delicacy of, of, of food. And it was uh, just a special day when he'd, when he'd harvest these fruit and he'd stew them up put sugar in it, and he would make these pies. This is all, the only thing that he cooked all year, Kent, was this, <laughs> was this lot of pies. And he would, he would make this nice pastry, hand roll it himself, and he'd shake a little bit of sugar over the top, and it would come out of the oven brown and crusty. And, and I still remember how it tasted, cutting a slice of that pie and having this, this ice-cold white cream on top of it as well. And even just thinking about it now, it takes me back to that moment and it brings up the connection not only with that food, but also with my father. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You, you remind me a little bit of uh, my in-laws. You know, I married into a Hungarian family and, and for them, you know, the food is so important, you know, in terms of, you know, where you've gone, who you've been with, yeah, yeah, whatever, but mm. what did you eat <laughs> is always the <laughs> question and it's the thing that connects people together. Wow, well, there you go, so Broken Hill, so Iron Ore and Kwandong Pai were the, were the uh, tourist attractions, is, is, is that how it worked back in the day? <laughs> Absolutely, uh, and the kangaroos, of course, and the and the art, the brushman of the bush are out there. So, okay, but, no, f- fantastic. Yeah. So, when when you uh, you are sitting around the table w- with your family, um, what what sorts of you know conversations happen that perhaps you know wouldn't have have happened you know, otherwise? Well, you know, we as kids, of course, we wanted to go and sit in front of the television and eat our dinner there, but mum would wouldn't have any of it. We'd sit at the table. And it was one of those old country tables with the, the green laminate top. Yep. And she would grill us about our days. And so before we knew it, over a meal, we'd be sharing what had happened at school, the funny things that had occurred, or you know the, the harder parts of our day. And we'd be able to talk about them. And because it was not just a face-to-face grilling, because we were eating at the time, those sort of barriers were dropped and it was just easier to share uh, what had happened in our day. Wow. And I do that now with my own daughter when she gets home from school. She's always hungry, and I know that if we can start talking over a meal, she'll share more than she ever would have if I just tried to grill her. Yeah, no, I can understand that. That can be really powerful. And you make the point in your article, Justin, that when it comes to you know rites of passage in our culture, it seems mm. that there's a... a a table, you know, with food on it, not far away at, on any of those occasions. Uh, it's something that I that I noticed, especially, uh, I guess, doing pastoral work because you do a few funerals. But not only that, when you're young, when you're growing up, it was exciting to get together with family for a party. And there was always a huge table full of food. And I've got photos going back to me as a child every year with me next to this cake and it would always be, my mum would say, what kind of cake do you want for your party this year? Mm-hmm. And it, there would be a special cake made. There'd be a big banquet. And that went on and on. And obviously, the big one is your 18th. And for, for me, it was my 18th. And there's a huge party with food. Uh, every time over Christmas or, or Easter, we'd have a, a, a special banquet and all the family would come together. And at Christmas, we'd get three or four tables in a row all joined together and there's 40 or 50 of us all around one table eating food together. 
there's there's food every time that we go and vote even uh, yes, the, the the democracy sausage they call it. Yeah, <laughs> the, demo- the, the democracy sausage. It's our right to have a have a sanger when we go and, and vote, have a sausage, and even uh, when you marry, if you if you've got a, a someone being baptized or christened, there would be a, a meal there. Every major event, every major landmark of our lives is marked by food, and I noticed when I was pastoring, even every single funeral. Most attention was given to the to the food. Mm. There's always a buffet at every major event in our lives, and I, I noticed that. And anyone who knows me knows I enjoy food. Yeah. And so I started uh, noticing that the, it's more than just we want something to eat. Mm. Food mm. Is, is important. Something yeah. something special and important is happening when we share food together. Yeah, and and you make the point in your article uh, again that. Social isolation is is a real um, is a real problem in our society. I mean, you know, you mentioned people, you know, hitting the uh, mm-hmm. the drive through window and and eating alone so often. I mean, what mm-hmm. what are the consequences of that? You know, like socially uh, and even health wise. Oh, there are there are big consequences, and this is becoming a real problem in our in our society. And you would think, well, eating alone is fine, but what we're noticing and Many surveys and a lot of uh, statistics will back this up that Australia is very lonely, that mm. we have a lot of lonely people in our, in our culture. And a part of that is because we're not eating together anymore, mm. but also people are living longer and so family units are living separately. Mm. We've got an aging population who are more likely to live alone, especially after the death of a partner. And so you've got at least one in ten Australians who are living alone. Yeah, That's actually, a, actually, I believe, um, Justin, that in the last yeah. census, it was revealed that the fastest growing household type in Australia is actually people living alone. So it's it's an increasing mm-hmm. demographic. Yeah, but sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, no, you, you're right. It is increasing. That, and that's, that's the difficulty. And you might think, well, that's fine. I like to live alone. But the problem is that we're losing the lack of social support. And when you go through a difficult time when you live alone, you start realizing how hard it could be. So, for example, you might live alone and all of a sudden your car will break down mm-hmm. uh, without some support or family or a friend to call to help you out. It's a difficult day. Yeah, yeah. And so if you're alone, you're more likely to lack social support. That's essential. But they also show, statistics show that being connected socially is better for our health. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're more likely to live longer if we have that social fabric in our lives. Mm. And then there, I guess, there are the the mental health disorders that you know we're at risk at uh, at risk of if we're living in those isolated circumstances. You know, depression and and the like. Absolutely, it can it can lead to uh, an exacerbation of mental health issues, and of course, there's. There's numerous examples, and I've got a, a sister-in-law who works in the ambulance service, and she, she'll find someone who's fallen over, but they live alone. They're unable to mm. get help mm. or to get up because they're elderly, and so it's so important to have a social structure around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you hear those really you know, awful stories about, oh, you know, the old lady next door, haven't seen her for a, for a long time, and sort of, you know, three months later... Is someone finally checks and discovers that you know there she is. Um, you know she's she's yeah. been dead for several weeks. 
you know, people had sort of been wondering what, what the smell was. I mean, it's it's horrific. That that sort of thing has happened more than once. And it, mm. it does seem to be a, a symptom of a, of a society that is increasingly, you know, isolated. Look, it, it really does happen uh, more than we would think, especially in Australia. Uh, and a, a substantial amount of men and women, this isn't just for women or men, report that they feel emotional loneliness uh, and sometimes for years at a time, mm-hmm. not, not just once on, on the weekend, but for multiple years, they are feeling lonely and emotionally isolated. This is not good for us, for our society either. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's interesting that this whole idea of, you know, the power of eating together is not something that, you know, is just in Australian society or New Zealand society or, you know, Western societies. It's something that seems to, um, you know, track the world over. Wherever there are people, there's a, you know, <laughs> there's a meal to be had. Now, you travelled a little bit in the Middle East and, you know, Middle Eastern hospitality is, you know, legendary. What, what were some of your mm. experiences there? Oh, look, I loved it over there. The uh, the food of another culture really, really tells you about that culture. There was a, a French gastronomist, Willard Savar, and he said, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you what you are. Uh-huh. So when you see what somebody eats, when you eat what they eat, you come to a greater understanding of them and their culture. So in the Middle East, what you do is you, you eat the bread that they make and it's unlike any bread that you've ever had before. Mm-hmm. And it opens your eyes to a different way of living, that there's a, a whole group of people who eat different bread from you. <laughs> and it expands your horizons, it expands your mind, it expands your taste buds, definitely. And so when you when you go and you, you eat some of their food and, for example, they have this extensive ritual sometimes around making their, their coffee, mm. And they've got beautifully ornate decorated containers for it and they have a certain way of making it. And when they share this with you, it is not just sharing a drink. It's actually about hospitality. Yeah. And when we were on the tour bus out, uh, through the Middle East and through the, the Sinai Peninsula, our, our tour group told us in particular that if, if someone was to offer you food or drink, you should not turn it down because – even if you're not hungry, you should say yes, because when you refuse their hospitality, you're refusing them. You're causing offense to them. Mm. And the only reason to refuse is because you don't trust them, you don't like them, uh, you're at odds with them. Whereas when you eat together, you're saying we're friends. We've got nothing to hide. We mm. trust each other. Wow. So d- did that theory actually come true in, in your case? Did you find yourself invited to you know, to have a... a a drink with someone or to to share a meal with, with someone? Oh, absolutely. And wherever you, we went around the Middle East, there would be local peoples, and we were lucky enough that there was a Bedouin tribe that we ran into. We were staying at the hotel, and there was some tents set up nearby from the local Bedouin tribe. And as you wander past, they're very friendly, and they'll offer you to they'll bring you into their tents, and they'll share a, a hot drink with you. And so you say yes. And you don't want to refuse. And then all of a sudden, you've learned a bit more. You've sat in someone's home. You've seen how they live and you've shared food and drink with them. And that brings you closer than, than anything else could, could possibly do. I think it creates a, a bond between you Man, when that, you share food. It must have been really powerful. I mean, these are, what, nomadic people 
who you yes. know, are basically moving around, living in tents. I mean, a, a very, very different lifestyle, a very, very different culture from ours here in Australia. Uh, what, what was that like? Like sitting in a tent with someone who I assume your Arabic isn't so crash hot <laughs> and, and well, sharing food. I bought food. a Facebook, but it didn't help me much. But <laughs> that, that's the amazing thing because our clothes were different. The way we lived were different. The way we slept was different. The way we talked, we couldn't understand each other. But one thing was the same is that we shared food and drink. Mm-hmm. And we could sit across from each other and have a shared human experience with that little cup. And that's all that it took. Yeah. And we understood each other in a way that we couldn't before. Wow. No, that, that is really powerful. Now, you, you're a pastor, of course, there in Melbourne, Justin, and which means, I guess, you, you end up talking about Jesus a lot. So I imagine you must have put some thought into the way that Jesus lived his life when it comes to food and drink. I mean, as you say, you're, 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 a, keen, you're a keen eater. You, you, you're developing this, uh, <laughs> this theology of food by the sound of it. <laughs> call, call it commensality or whatever. It just means, hey, let's eat. How do you see food and meals and eating? together playing a part in Jesus' life and ministry? Look, food food was very important uh, in the Middle East when I was there, and that goes all the way back to Jesus' time and and before him, of course. Yeah. Food was very important, and what I, I guess I noted when I read the Bible is that Jesus and his disciples ate a lot. Mm. From one of the very first miracles Jesus did at a wedding while they were at a wedding feast, and there was, there was food when they ate. They would eat from the fields as they went along. Sharing food with each other was very important to them all the way through Jesus' life. But then particularly at the end when he started speaking about himself. Hmm. Well, just, just, started, just, just yeah. before we get to that, Justin, because I do want to spend some time looking at that, that Last yeah. Supper um, experience. But didn't Jesus spend a lot of time eating with, you know, all sorts of different groups of people to the point that he was actually criticized for some of his associations and, and the sort of friends he, he chose to have? How do you see, you know, food and eating together sort of, you know, being a part of that story? You know, that, that's a, a really good point that you bring up because they knew that eating with someone meant something. Mm. They knew that sharing food with someone puts put them on an equal social footing mm. so when when Jesus would would eat with someone and so for example the story that most people may have heard of is Zacchaeus yeah he's this fellow who's a social outcast yeah uh, he's a tax collector and and he's lonely he's he's one of these people experiencing this loneliness but when when Jesus sees him he calls him down and says I'm going to go and go to your house for lunch today I'm going to mm. eat with you yeah it's a way of redefining social boundaries. And that's, that's something that we can access, something that we can do. Mm. There are people in our society that maybe some others would not like to eat with, but maybe that's something that we could do the yeah. way that Jesus did. Wow, yeah. So, I mean, you, we see, you know, Jesus eating, uh, as you say, with um, a social outcast like Zacchaeus. I mean, he was like a mm-hmm. collaborator with the Roman regime that was, you know, occupying the land and oppressing him. So that's a pretty big deal. That's actually a political statement, e- eating with that guy. And and then you have Jesus eating with, you know, Pharisees, you know, the the leader, the religious leaders. They're very mm-hmm. respectable people. But then you're 
also have Jesus being criticised. You know, some sometimes uh, some of these Pharisees came to his um, to Jesus' followers and says, "What's the deal? You know, with your rabbi? He mm-hmm. eats with he associates with sinners and and prostitutes and tax collectors and and all this sort of stuff." It seemed to be actually quite quite controversial, a, a little bit of a scandal. You know, he was he was called you know a glutton and a drunkard uh, because of these associations, mm-hmm. because of these behaviours. Look, and and that's the remarkable thing about Jesus. He really he transcended these cultural taboos. He he talked with people that he wasn't supposed to talk with. He spoke with Samaritans, and he would forgive women who who supposedly had been caught in adultery. He helps people that the culture at the time said those people should be avoided. Hmm. And so he didn't let the social status or or, or cultural expectations dictate how he treated people. So yeah, he really transcended those and he spent time particularly with the outcasts and he, he loved people no matter where they came from. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the Pharisees didn't like it. When you, when you do that sort of thing, yeah, you cause a reaction. Something as simple as, as eating a meal with someone can, can cause a big reaction. Yeah, no, that, that's that's fantastic, Justin. So now, sorry, I, I did divert you from uh, wh- where you're headed, which which is to talk about you know Jesus and the Last Supper. And I guess even you know those of us who don't have a lot of biblical background have you know maybe seen you know the Da Vinci Code or whatever, and or, or seen that that Leonardo da Vinci painting of Jesus and his disciples having mm. that that Last Supper. Can you explain that like the significance of of that meal? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's become so important that we've given it a title, The Last Supper, Mm. because it's the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And at its its heart, Jesus was sitting down and sharing food and drink with these people that he'd spent years with on the road. Mm. But more than that, he he knew the importance of of what he was doing, and there was a symbol behind the bread and the wine that he shared. Mm. And he'd spoken about that before in his teachings. He said, I am the bread of life. Mm. So calling yourself bread, bread is a staple food. Bread is what people used to be paid in or people would have every day. It was their basic meal. They didn't have the options that we have today. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have the supermarkets to drop into. They had their bread. Yep. And so Jesus, he says, I'm, I'm like this bread. You need me every day. Mm. So not, 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 not a fancy extra, not a, a sort of a, a foodie extravagant um, extra ingredient. This is an, he's saying, I'm, an, I'm a staple. I'm the staple of life, the foundation of, of your life in the same way that bread is a foundation of, of every meal at that, at that time. Absolutely. This is, this is something that everyone can afford, that everyone can eat. This isn't, uh, he's not calling himself smashed avo at a local cafe that costs $17. (laughs) Yeah. He's saying, I'm the the basic wonder bread for a dollar, or I'm the basic loaf of bread for one dollar that you buy, the very basic and simple food Mm. that everyone can afford to eat. That's what he's comparing himself to, something that everyone is used to eating, Mm -hmm. because everyone has access to that food. And he's doing that, he's calling himself that, because from then on, every time anyone sat down and ate bread, they would think, of Jesus. 
Yeah, yeah. And he didn't. He even prayed, didn't he? In in uh, in the mm-hmm. Lord's prayer, he said, "You know, give us this day our daily bread." And th- this seems to be, uh, I guess, this reinforces the message that for that time in that culture, and for a, in a lot of places today, mm-hmm. you know, bread is on the table just about every meal. I mean, I remember going to Europe, you know, when I was a teenager to to Poland, mm-hmm. and it was the case that there was bread on the table at every meal. It was just it wasn't a meal without it. So I, I guess Jesus is saying in in that sense. Hey, if I'm going to be the bread in your life, it means mm. you know I, I want to be daily a part of your life. I want you to consider me every day. I want you to connect with me every day. You know, just in the same mm. way that you know bread is a part of every meal. You know, I, I, I used to visit my aunt, and whenever I'd see her, every, the, her, her table always had a loaf of bread and butter in one of those little dishes on it. Yep. So at the very least, you can sit down and eat a piece of bread and have some butter. So that tradition goes back thousands of years. But also he's saying that that bread, it's a simple thing in life. Yeah. He's saying, he's also kind of saying we don't need to chase the expensive gourmet things in life. That It's enough to be satisfied with the simple things, the simple mm. bread. Yeah, sure. And, but also he attached symbolism to like the bread and also mm. the wine that he shared, which was another staple on, on the table as well. And what, what, did he, mm. um, what did he mean by those things, the bread and the wine? Well, he... He does an amazing thing, doesn't he? He turns a simple meal into a picture of what he's done for us. Mm. And so he he took the bread and he compared it to his body set on the bread of life. But then we saw that he broke the bread at this meal. Mm. And so he was kind of saying, my body's about to be broken. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what happened on the cross. Yep. And, he took, and he took the wine and he, he said, this is my blood. And then he poured it out to them. And he said, this is my blood. And so when we see him die on the cross and his blood is poured out from his side as he dies. Mm. And so he's saying, this is me. These broken things, they're representing me. And so when we share the bread and the wine together as a community, we're sharing him. Mm. And, and we're united not just by the food that we eat together, but we're united by the fact that we're all joined to Jesus. Wow. So it's commensality. Yeah, wow. And and I guess if you know if our listeners want to check out some of the details and some of the biblical background of that, you know, either you know grab the magazine, the April uh, edition of Science of the Times, or, or jump on our website, which is scienceofthetimes.org.au, and check out Justin's article, Eating Together. And there are some some Bible texts there that sort of you know show that that tell this story from the different Gospels, and also go on in to show how in the New Testament the early Christians continued in this ritual of you know breaking bread and and, um, and drinking wine together to to remember Jesus. It's become a a pretty foundational part of the of the Christian experience and of Christian worship, hasn't it? Look, that tradition continues today in in every Christian church that I've ever been to. Mm. They will have this supper. They will eat together, and we're still remembering that last meal that Jesus shared by sharing a meal with each other today. Wow, no, that's uh, that's really powerful. Hey, thanks so much, uh, Justin, for yeah, f- for writing that article for us and and for uh, and for discussing it with us today. But look, before you finish up, you've got something exciting coming up in May, I believe, in in Melbourne, in the Victorian area. That's the Revelation Today series, a, a series of of public meetings. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, I'd love to, Kent. Yes, Revelation Today is a series coming up in May. It starts May the third and fourth. Now, we're across four different venues. 
We've got one in Dandenong, one in South Morang, one in Taylor's Hill, and one in Box Hill. And we've got a couple of uh, amazing speakers coming from America, John Bradshaw mm-hmm. and Eric Flickinger. And uh, they're going to share some uh, exciting stories and some and some talks about this kind of topic. Mm. And uh, we're very excited about that. There's afternoon and evening meetings. And if you're interested in those, we've got a website and it's www.revelationtoday.com.au. Okay. And uh, that'll give us more information on those meetings and the chance to register. Okay, so that website again, revelationtoday.com.au. Well, that, that sounds fantastic. Now, the, the series of, of lectures is called Revelation Today. Does that mean there's a particular focus on the, the biblical book of Revelation or does it go broader than that? Well, you know, we're really talking about uh, the future and finding hope for the future and discovering meaning and purpose in life. And so we're, we're trying to get a revelation uh, not only from the book, but also uh, of Jesus. And uh, we're going to be talking about varied topics. But look, I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, if you check out that website, it'll, it'll show you a little bit more about the speakers okay. and all the information you need. Okay, th- these are free events, yeah? Absolutely. There's no, um, but, no, there's no charge. Yep, but I seem to recall a register button on the, on the website. You, you're wanting people to, um, Absolutely. to register so you know how many to expect, I guess. When you get to the website, scroll down a little way. It'll give you the session information and some of the key topics we'll be covering, some information about the speakers. And then there's just a couple of things you can write in, which will basically put you on a list and we can send out some information as we get closer to the date. Oh, that's fantastic. So that's coming up in May, revelationtoday.com.au. If you want to know more, hey, thanks so much, Justin, for your time today. Thank you, Ken. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.